We're taking you from sideline to sideline and everything in between. It's your one-stop shop for all things football. Join me, Aaron Mukes, every Wednesday and Friday for fresh takes, breaking news, fantasy gold, and more. College and NFL, we got you covered. This is Sideline to Sideline, the podcast. All the spotted. The kick is away. And the kick is... It's going on! The jump is In trouble. Here comes the rush. And here's the hit. And a lot. Second down attempt. Ladies and gentlemen, now your host, Mr. Aaron Mutes, and his co-host, Akeem. This is your one-stop shop for all college and NFL football. Here is Sideline to Sideline. Week four is complete. Welcome in to Sideline to Sideline, the podcast. I am your host, Aaron Mukes. Man, do we got a show for you today. Uh, this one's going to be a little bit longer today, folks. I got a lot of, a lot of special things to get to. First, we're going to start with my normal Sideline to Sideline. I'm going to touch on the games from last week. I'm going to give you my rant of the week. But I have two special guests this week. One... Um, he's going to be my co-host for the second half of the show. Uh, big 49er fan. We're going to get into Niner talk. I know all you Niner fans are going to like that. Uh, hear his perspective on the Niners and their direction. And then secondly, I got a special interview, man, of a, a local high school coach that, you know, I've gotten to know over the past couple of years. And I just wanted to sit down with him and have a nice conversation. So I'll have that interview coming up a little bit later on. But I'm telling you, week four is complete. The season is flying by. We've seen COVID. We've seen, you know, games possibly scheduled for Tuesday. We've had, you know, impromptu bye weeks. It's, it's crazy, man. 2020 continues to be crazy. But it's not stopping us. Sideline to Sideline is here. We're going to keep bringing you that, that fire. I uh, hope you checked out the fantasy show this week. Uh, we got a lot of good nuggets in there for you. And we're just going to keep it rolling. So let's get it started. Let's go sideline to sideline. Let's rock. All right, first things first, let's touch on these news and notes. Bill O'Brien out as Houston head coach and general manager. Can I just say it is about damn time. This man has had opportunity after opportunity to be successful there in Houston. Um, he's, he's got a franchise quarterback. He's had a number of talented players, and he just hasn't got the job done. He is almost, almost the Jason Garrett of the AFC. He's been there a long time. You know, I, I, think, I think these disciples of Bill Belichick, people need to start realizing that they're just not, they're not Bill Belichick. We, we've talked about it earlier this year with uh, Matt Patricia, Romeo Cornell, Charlie Weiss, all these guys. I mean, Joe Judge gets an opportunity in New York. All these guys that are from the Bill Belichick tree and they're just not successful. So I'm happy he's out. Uh, one thing I want to say about it before we move on, because I don't want to spend too much time on this, we got a busy show, is I think this was timed extremely well. I think this was something that was in the works for a while. And I don't think it's a coincidence that it happens after week four. They had one of the toughest schedules to start the season, Kansas City, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, and Minnesota. 
And then right before the Jacksonville game, they let their coach go and, and, you know, and Romeo Cornell takes over as the interim head coach. Possibly because, you know, they'll probably win this week and that would have been another week that they had to hold on to Bill O'Brien. But I think the writing was on the wall once DeAndre Hopkins got moved and you see what he's doing over there in Arizona. So Bill O'Brien, gone. Um, Second thing, we saw Cam Newton this week get diagnosed with COVID-19 and miss Monday night's game against the Kansas City Chiefs. And you've seen the impact that Cam Newton has on that, on that organization and that team. I'll be the first to say I was wrong. I did not like the fit in New England. I felt like the lack of weapons would significantly hurt Cam's uh, value. And I was wrong. I was wrong. Um, I sat on here with my co-host, Akeem, and I told him that if I was wrong, I would, I would let everybody know that I was wrong. And it's clear and evident that he is the best quarterback on that team. He is the surefire, no doubt starter. And I think it would be a huge mistake, a huge mistake if New England does not lock him up long-term after this season. I I like what they're building there with that defense. I mean, did you see what that defense did to Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs for three, three and a half quarters? You put a quarterback on the offensive side of the ball and easily New England can win that game. They had a lot of mistakes, gave Kansas City a lot of different opportunities. Uh, Jared Stidham came in and played a little bit better than Brian Hoyer. So I'm interested to see if they go that route, if Cam misses another week, because I was high on Jared Stidham. Um, obviously, the injury in training camp hurt him. Uh, he fell behind and Cam, you know, snatched that job up and, and ran with it. So Cam Newton getting, getting COVID. Um, it was a relief, though. The, co- the COVID stuff was crazy because it was a relief that he was the only one in New England that tested positive. And it's going to be something to watch this week to see if other people test positive after the fact. Uh, Hopefully we have Tennessee back playing again this week. Uh, Pittsburgh got an additional bye week or an early bye week as a result, but COVID is still making its mark. So we have to keep an eye on those things and be prepared for anything. As a football fan, if a game has to be played on Tuesday, I'm all for it. More football, the better. All right, some, uh, some quick news and notes about injuries. We saw Nick Chubb and Austin Eckler both um, go out due to injury. Nick Chubb is expected to miss four to six weeks, possibly longer. Uh, they placed him on IR, which means he is missing at least three weeks. And then Austin Eckler uh, is expected to miss two to four weeks with the hamstring pull. And wh- one thing we continue to see is these soft tissue injuries. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to blame it directly on the impact COVID had during the offseason. No off-season team workouts, no OTAs, no, tr- no actual training camp, uh, very little you know, physical hitting going on in training camp. Uh, these guys just weren't in football shape. And you know, we, we laugh at the preseason. We talk about the preseason not meaning anything. But in fact, this is exactly why we have the preseason. To get these guys reps, get their bodies in shape, get them used to the, the fast-paced NFL, and when the season starts, you know, they're, they're, they're able to go full force. So for all those people that wanted to eliminate preseason altogether, I think we should take another look at that. Two games, three games, I, I think preseason is a must. This week's rant, I, I'm excited. Some people may not see this coming. I spent a lot of time on guys that I feel 
have either let me down or aren't worthy of the stature they're given in the NFL. Today, I'm going to talk about my own team right here, right here, <laughs> right here behind me. I'm going to talk about the Dallas Cowboys. Specifically, I want to rant. I want to talk about the, the, atrocious, the atrocious defense that the Dallas Cowboys are showing through the first four weeks, why this is happening, and how it needs to get fixed. And the reason, the reason I, I placed this here and I'm considering it a rant is because, honestly, I'm pissed off. As a Cowboy fan, I'm pissed off. I've seen the disappointment, okay? I mean, it's been, it's been 20, it's been 20 years, 20 plus years since we've been relevant, 25 years. A quarter of a century, the Dallas Cowboys have had some good teams but haven't been back to a Super Bowl. Now, I'm a believer the Dallas Cowboys are America's team for a number of reasons. Obviously, fan base, notoriety, um, the star, the, what it represents. It's just, regardless of whether you want to argue with me or not, they've been successful in the past. They are America's team. But knowing that you're America's team, you cannot continue to put out the product that you're putting out and expect people, expect fans to be okay with it. What I've seen through the first four weeks is, is a disgrace. That defense looks like they don't know how to play football. I don't know if it's a transition from a 4-3 to a 3-4. I don't know if it's Mike Nolan is, you know, his system is soft or whatever. Maybe Niner fans can, maybe we could talk about that with Tate, um, special guest later coming on. But they look soft. The front seven last year under Rod Marinelli wasn't, you know, and Chris Richard and all them, they weren't the best, right? It's not like we were the best defense, but that effort and that energy was there. And Demarcus Lawrence, I think, said it in an interview. He said, they're playing some soft, trash-ass football. And that's exactly what they've been. That's what they've looked like through four weeks. They've played a couple of tough teams. I mean, yes, the Rams are looking a lot better on the road. The Seahawks are a very good offense on the road. Atlanta's offense is fairly decent but that was at home. And then you have the Cleveland Browns. Talented, yes, but they're still the Cleveland Browns. And they came to your house and they ran for 300 plus yards after Nick Chubb got hurt. When Kareem Hunt wasn't hitting the carries, Dearness Johnson, like Hilliard, who are these guys? And yet they made the Dallas defense look like Swiss cheese. We have no secondary. Jalen Smith looks like his knee is still messed up from Notre Dame. I mean, he's taking a step back. I don't know if it, he got paid and got slow, but he looks completely lost on the field. I don't know if it's because they switched him to a different position this year and, you know, him and Va Van Der Esch had swapped spots. Obviously, he doesn't have much help with Van Der Esch and Sean Lee being out, but he is getting lost in space. He looks slow. Jordan Lewis has taken a step back. The only one on our defense that looks like he knows how to play football right now is Alden Smith. And the man hasn't played football since 2015 or 2016. That's sad. I do believe in DeMarcus Lawrence. I think DeMarcus Lawrence will get it going. I think the transition from being down, hand in the dirt, to standing up is a little bit different for him. Um, again, it's a different scheme. And then Trayvon Diggs, 
I'm encouraged by him. He's, he's around the ball a lot. And I like that. There's been many plays where it's like his arms in there to break up the pass and the receiver just makes a great catch, but he's not getting burnt or toasted. And when he did by DK Metcalf, he, he kept fighting and, and he made a play. So I'm, I'm encouraged there. He's young, but our safety play is absolutely terrible. Jerry Jones. Why in the hell is Earl Thomas still a free agent? Why is he a free agent? I don't, at this point, I don't care about locker room chemistry. I don't care about him beating up teammates. We need playmakers on the defensive side of the ball. Earl Thomas is a veteran and 80% of Earl Thomas is better than 120% of what we have. We just released our only veteran back there in Brandon Carr. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm perplexed as to what in the hell the Dallas Cowboys are doing on the defensive side of the football to help their offense. Now, mind you, their offense has its own issues. Offensive line play um, has been an issue. We've been flip-flopping people around and, and Zeke has been a little bit inconsistent. I think, you know, the, the switch to Mike McCarthy, his offense is starting to show a little bit more the last couple of weeks. So I want to talk about that. I want to talk about what the Dallas Cowboys are going to have to do to fix this team and fix this defense. Cause it, cause it's, it's, it's just a small, it's a small adjustment. And I think, you know, a lot of people are going to give me shit for this because I've been a big supporter um, of how things have been in the past for the Dallas Cowboys. But right now I'm going to say it. The only way the Dallas Cowboys are going to be relevant and fixed. And I heard somebody on ESPN say this after it, I already wrote the script for this show. So don't talk about me copying anybody. I had this idea right when the game was over on Sunday. The Cowboys need to trade Ezekiel Elliott. They do. They need to trade Zeke. And I guarantee you won't find a bigger Zeke fan than me. I love the way he plays football. I love the way he runs. I still think he is the best running back, pure running back, pure runner of the football in the league. He's always going forward. His feet never stop moving. He has great vision. He's strong. He's agile. He has breakaway speed when he gets to the open. He is the best running back, pure runner of the football in the league, in my opinion. But the Dallas Cowboys need to trade Ezekiel Elliott. Let me tell you why. We just signed Amari Cooper. We just signed Jalen Smith, Demarcus Lawrence, Lyle Collins, um, a, a number of guys that we've given money to, and Ezekiel Elliott, $90 million for our running back. That, that's, I mean, and I was, I was all for paying him. I, I felt like our team was built based upon the run game, and we needed to pay him. Well, this transition over the last couple of years is it seems to be that we want to make this Dak's team, which, which I'm completely okay with. I'm a big Dak supporter. We have the wideouts. Our offensive line is suspect um, at this point, losing Frederick and Tyron Smith looks a little bit older. And it just, you know, we're losing guys. Lyle Collins is out for the year. But it seems to be we are turning into a pass first offense. And it's happened over the last couple of years, even under Jason Garrett. We don't need a running back making $90 million if that's not going to be the focal point of our offense. I mean, just, if, just compare it to a Christian McCaffrey. That's their whole offense. Pay that man. Alvin Kamara, 
such a huge part of their offense. Pay that man. Saquon Barkley, pay that man. Zeke deserves to be paid, but if he's going to get paid that kind of money, then he needs to be touching the ball 25 plus times. And I'm not talking seven catches out of the backfield. I'm talking, why is he only getting 12 carries? Okay, he's been the most consistent back since 2016. He needs to be running the rock. And I'm really sick and tired of watching this every week where we're not running the ball and we don't establish him early. And then what happens? He starts dropping passes because he didn't get involved early enough. Get him going and allow the play action game to get Dak Prescott going. Dak has looked phenomenal. I don't care what anybody says about the the numbers he's putting up being, oh, they're playing from behind. He has been playing great football. We've turned the ball over a little bit too much, some inopportune times. Um, He's fumbled the ball a little bit. But as far as the throw over the football, you cannot watch the Dallas Cowboys and Dak Prescott and say he does not deserve to get paid when you're watching all the other quarterbacks around the league. The Dallas Cowboys need to trade Ezekiel Elliott. This offseason, obviously mid-year, I'm not for it. But this offseason, they need to find a team that's built on running the ball and defense, trade Ezekiel Elliott, load up on draft picks, and address the defense. We need to start spending money on defense. The biggest mistake the Cowboys did was sign Ezekiel Elliott. And it's not, at the moment, it wasn't a mistake. But they should have used the money and signed Byron Jones. If you now have Tony Pollard in the backfield, who's capable, and you have Byron Jones on the defense, who was a shutdown corner, look how different our defense looks there. Uh, I'm, I hate to say it. Like I said, I'm a big Zeke fan. But Jerry Jones, there's two things they need to do this offseason. They need to make sure they lock up Dak Prescott. They need to find somebody to ship that contract of Ezekiel Elliott to, and they need to address the defense. C.D. Lamb was a great draft pick. Building around Dak, great. But we have, to, we have got to start building that defense out. Defense and offensive line. Honestly, our, next, our draft next year should consist of all defense and offensive linemen. We don't need another skill position. We don't need to address any other position except for defense and offensive line. I'm tired of watching it. I'm tired of watching. You know, I'm not blaming Mike McCarthy. He's brand new. I blame at this point in time. I'm blaming Jerry Jones. And again, I love Jerry. I know he wants to win, but we have got to do a better job of addressing the defense. Pissed me off this weekend, man, losing to the Browns, giving up 300 yards rushing. But those offensive weapons, Jesus, man, got me all fired up here early. All fired up. All right, man, uh, let's move on. Let's move on. Enough about the Cowboys. Let's talk about these games this week before I bring in my special guest. I'm going to go ahead and give you my game picks early. You know, last week I, I last week was a struggle. I, I'm finding it harder to pick these games with these injuries and all this, all this COVID stuff going on. Um, it's getting a little bit harder to, to pick these games. But we're going to see what we can do this week. And then we will give an update on the year coming up in the, fo- the following week and let you guys know what our record is. This week, week five, let's start out. Buccaneers, Bears. We have the Buccaneers on Thursday night. I'm recording this on a Wednesday. So I'm not going to pick the Thursday night game. 
because this is drops Friday and I don't want people to think I am cheating. I do have the Buccaneers though, just in case you were wondering. Uh, Panthers, Falcons, we have the Panthers heading to Atlanta. I don't even know if there's a line on this game yet, but it doesn't matter. I continue to watch the Atlanta Falcons blow leads, play like crap. Matt Ryan, not good. Calvin really gets zero, zero catches last week. Julio Jones is going to be out. Teddy Bridgewater and the Carolina Panthers went, in, went to Arizona, played Arizona, and they beat them. And I think Arizona's a good team. I like the way Teddy Bridgewater's playing. I'm going to go Carolina on the road, regardless of the line. Bills, Titans, same thing. They're unsure about the Titans playing the game, so there is no line there. Um, doesn't matter. Buffalo's on a roll. I like Buffalo here on the road against Tennessee. Raiders, Chiefs. Raiders go to the Kansas City to take on the Chiefs. <laughs> Let's be honest. I, I don't pick against Patrick Mahomes. Doesn't matter the line. They, I mean, they looked like they couldn't move the ball at all against New England, and they end up still putting up 26 points. So just keep it consistent. I'm going to stick with Kansas City, 13 and a half. I know it's two touchdowns. I know the Raiders have been playing better. But, again, it's Patrick Mahomes. I'll take the Chiefs minus 13 and a half. Arizona and the Jets, nothing to talk about here. I told you I wouldn't, wouldn't talk about the Jets anymore. You know who I'm taking, Arizona minus seven, lock of the week. All right, Eagles go to Pittsburgh. You know, Eagles had a, I'll let's just say, they had a game gifted to them by the Niners, which we will talk about later on as well. Last week, I don't see them going to Pittsburgh and doing the same thing with Pittsburgh coming off a bye week. Pittsburgh's favored by seven here. Uh, I'm going to say Philly keeps it close. I will take the Eagles plus seven, but I think Pittsburgh wins the game. Uh, Carson Wentz makes one too many mistakes, and Pittsburgh wins. Eagles cover, though. Rams go play Washington. Uh, Rams are favored by seven and a half. They were a huge disappointment last week against the Giants. I expected that game to be a blowout. It was not. I expect this game to be a blowout. It should be. I will take the Rams minus seven and a half. Bengals and the Ravens. Um, Joe Burrow's been playing pretty well. I'm pretty impressed. I know I talked a lot of shit about him. Um, for all those people that gave me crap about it, yet yeah, so far you're right. He's looked decent. He doesn't look like a career backup. He does look like somebody with some promise. But I don't see the promise in this game. They are playing Baltimore on the road. I will take Baltimore minus the 12 and a half. I think Lamar Jackson continues to try to prove to people that he's a a quarterback and can throw from the pocket. And I think they're too much for the Bengals to handle. Jaguars and Texans, finally, with Bill O'Brien out, I have Deshaun Watson getting their first win of the year. I will take Houston minus five and a half at home. I think they try to establish the run. David Johnson gets involved and Deshaun Watson has his best game of the year. I will take Houston minus five and a half. Miami goes to San Francisco. Uh, disappointing loss last week for San Francisco against an Eagles team that had looked bad, um, to say the least, the first three weeks. I think they bounced back here. I would be, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Nick Mullins. I don't know if he's going to be the starter or not, but the way C.J. Beathard came in the game and played, I would assume it's going to be him if Jimmy Garoppolo cannot go. But the story of this game is going to be the best tight end in football, and that's George Kittle. 
Um, he looks like he's playing on another level. And the 49ers should win this game easily by two touchdowns. I will take the 49ers. The Colts and the Browns, um, probably one of the most under underappreciated teams this year is the Indianapolis Colts. I think they're not being talked about. They're not being taken serious as a contender. And I told people before the season, they were a sleeper Super Bowl team. Um, I didn't expect their defense to be this good, although I did expect it to be good. I think they go to Cleveland and they win that game. I think Cleveland is a fraud three and one. I think they have a lot of issues there. And without Nick Chubb, I think teams are going to start to load up and make Baker Mayfield beat them. And if it wasn't for a few gadget plays, they could have blown that game against Dallas. I will take the Colts minus two. Denver and the Patriots. Uh, Denver's just banged up. I don't see how they go into New England and win this game, even if Jared Stidham or Brian Hoyer is the starting quarterback. Uh, we saw how they almost you know, blew the game against the Jets on Thursday night. We'll see if Rippon starts again or if Drew Locke is back. But there, there's just too many injuries on, on both sides of the football for Denver. I will take the Patriots in this one. Minnesota and Seattle. Oh, boy, this is going to be a high-scoring game. Two secondaries that are not very good. Love what I'm seeing from Justin Jefferson on, in Minnesota. But Russell Wilson is just playing at another level. and. He didn't have his best game last week against Miami and props to Brian Flores and the Miami secondary and the defense to making Russell Wilson look like just a good quarterback. <laughs> uh, but I think they, I think they go here. I think they, they're at home against Minnesota. I think they win this game, but I am going to take Minnesota in the points. It's seven points. I think that's too much. I will take Seattle in the game, but I will take Minnesota plus seven. And then Monday night, we have Chargers, Saints. Oh, wait, wait let me go back. Actually, we have Giants-Cowboys. I, I skipped that one because I don't, I don't really want to talk about my team anymore. But Dallas is favored by nine and a half. I'm going to take the Giants plus nine and a half. Until the Dallas Cowboys can show me they can stop somebody, I'm not picking them anymore. So plus nine and a half, I'll take the Giants. I think the Cowboys win, but I don't think they beat them by 10 points because we can't stop anybody. So expect Daniel Jones to have his way with our defense and we win a high scoring game somewhere along the lines of 35, 27, something like that. Monday night, we have the chargers and the saints. I don't know how the saints got put on Monday night again, but they did. I really like what I see from the, the chargers defense. They should have won that game in Tampa, but Tampa had the goat, but the comeback by the saints was impressive without Michael Thomas. Uh, I was really impressed with the comeback, even though it was against Detroit. I expect Michael Thomas to be back in this one. Chargers still have a lot of injuries, and then they losing, losing Austin Eckler is sure to hurt them. The Saints are favored by eight. I'm, I'm going to take the Saints in this one minus eight. I think, I think they get it done. I think they win by 10, somewhere, you know, 30 to 20. Um, I will take the Saints in this one. So those are my picks for the week. We are at week five. And when we come back, again, I have two special guests um, that I will be introducing. We're going to talk some 49ers football. And I will sit down with the head coach at Franklin High School. And we'll talk all things COVID and high school football and um, some good stuff there. So stay tuned. Coming back right after this. 
Okay, everyone, I am here with a special guest, Coach Evan Boylan from the Franklin High School Wildcats here in Elk Grove, California. Um, he's the head varsity football coach, and we're going to talk about some things today. Hey, uh, what's going on, Coach? How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us. I know you're busy with your, your classes, so take, for, thank you for taking the time out of our, your day to talk to us. Um, first of all, why don't you give us a little, a little background on yourself, how you became the head football coach at Franklin, and kind of your, your resume and your, your, your football career and kind of your coaching goals there at Franklin High School. Well, I, I think I owe a lot of it to my high school head football coach, um, Dan Carmazzi, who I played for um, at, uh, at Jesuit High School a pretty long time ago now, uh, actually. And uh, I, I grew up loving football and not totally sure where that came from. I mean, I watched games with my dad. My dad never played football or anything like that. Um, but something about it, I just fell in love with it from a really early age and um, started playing Pop Warner football. And then uh, as I was getting ready to, to go to high school, I wanted to play for this specific coach, Dan Carmazzi, um, at Jesuit because he seemed to coach all the best quarterbacks. And uh, I wanted to go and, and play for him. And uh, it ended up being one of the most important uh, decisions that I've made in my life, along with my family, of course. Um, just had an awesome experience playing high school football for him. And then, you know, played a little bit of, of D3 college football uh, after that. But when I started to get into coaching, um, that's when uh, things kind of came full circle with my head high school coach, who uh, by that point had moved on to a different high school, to Christian Brothers High School. And uh, he was able to get me over there on campus. Um, by that point in time, I was a teacher. I was a, a history teacher just kind of starting to coach football. And then uh, he was able to get me on campus there as an on-campus coach and teacher. So I got to go from, uh, from playing for him to, you know, growing up and becoming an adult and establishing a friendship with him to then becoming um, co-workers and, and on the same staff with him. So, um, you know, if I hadn't gotten over to that, to Christian Brothers with Coach Carmazzi, I never would have met my wife. We met there. She worked in the, uh, in the business department. So it's funny how many things uh, in my life I really owe to my high school head football coach. And, uh, you know, he's, he's definitely the kind of man, the kind of coach that I want to be and someone that I learned a ton from. Um, so had a really great experience at Christian Brothers uh, coaching under him and then coaching under Tyler Allman there as well. Um, got the opportunity to coordinate both sides of the ball, which I think was really important to me and my um, growth and development as a coach. Um, and then got to a point where I was looking for a new challenge and, and something to to take on and, and try and really push myself. I knew I wanted to to be a head football coach and uh, was fortunate enough to be hired here at Franklin and um, the rest is history from there. Nice, nice. Now you mentioned um, kind of the impact being able to coordinate on both sides of the ball had on you now as a head football coach. Can you dive into that a little bit? And how, um, how did that kind of shape who you are as a head coach and kind of your philosophies um, with your program now? Yeah, well, I think it's kind of that classic idea of um, growth really starts to happen once you leave your comfort zone. And first of all, when I really got into coaching, um, when I got over to, uh, to Christian Brothers, um, that was kind of a, a wake-up call for me. I realized that I did not know much football at all. <laughs> um, when I got over there and I was coaching with some of those guys, 
um, I, I realized uh, I thought that I knew a lot about football, but I really didn't. I had a very surface understanding um, of, of the game. Uh, and so that was, that was a, I felt like I got to take kind of a master's class there at Christian Brothers because not only was Dan Carmazzi on that staff, but um, there, were, there were four or five guys on that staff who had all been coaching for 40 plus years and just had this wealth of knowledge. And so I got there and kind of realized, wow, I thought I knew a lot more about this than I actually do. Um, so I ended up uh, getting the chance to be a defensive coordinator there, had never really coached that side of the ball, knew very little about defense. A bunch of things happened and I was kind of the, the person who was left, <laughs> you know? Um, and so the job kind of uh, fell to me and um, it was very, nerve-wracking and stressful at first um but i just worked my rear end off to study it and learn it and asked as many questions as i could and just really dove into that and uh ended up being the defensive coordinator for two years before i went back to the offensive side over there but it just it makes you such a better offensive coach um once you've coached defense and then i think um as a head coach it really benefits you because you can, you can have a true vision of what you want your program to look like, not just one side of the ball. Um, so, you know, that's something that, that I, uh, I don't want to coordinate both sides right now. Um, that's too much work uh, for, for one person to do both those jobs well, at least me, I'm not smart enough to do them both well. But I think it helps just to have that background and um, to take part in the game planning process on the defensive side. And I think it's really good uh, for me to continue to coach a defensive position group. And um, it just does a lot to make it feel like it's one staff. You know, we don't have an offensive side and a defensive side. We're all in it together. Um, so it was huge for me and in, in my growth. Um, you know, it, it almost, it's kind of like being bilingual or something. Like when right. you can speak both of those languages, it, it really helps. And you know, you mentioned, you know, obviously, um, understanding the entire football program and knowing what's going on on the defense and the offense. I kind of relate it to the business world when a CEO knows, you know, who runs a company knows everything that's going on in this company. It just makes them a better CEO. And I think the, the, it's similar when, when you're talking about coaching, when you know the offense and defense inside of the ball, even if you're not touching on it on a daily basis, um, you, get, you gain respect from, from your players and, and from your coaches as well, um, that you're interested in that part of the, part of the program. Um, but that you do know what's going on. So um, I think that's pretty important. So let's, let's talk about some of your coaching goals. Now, um, how long have you been a head coach with Franklin? Uh, I'm in my third year here. So third year at Franklin. Do you have yeah. any aspirations to, to take that any further, to maybe go try at the college level? Or, or is this something that you're kind of content with? You're, you're teaching, you're you're able to shape these young men and you're, you're happy where you're at um, as far as, as far as your coaching career. Uh, right now I'm pretty happy with where I'm at. And uh, you know, I would never say never with something like that, but in general, no, that has not been a goal for me um, to make it to that level. Um, I mean, I know a little bit about what that's like, what those hours are like. Um, that, that is not appealing to me. Um, <laughs> right. You know, some of the hours that, that those guys end up working and I feel like this whole, you know, COVID pandemic thing has kind of made me realize what I love about this job. And I want to just focus on, on that part. And what I love is coaching football and being around these, these young guys and these coaches. Um, 
it's it's not so much about um it's not even about wins and losses i'm realizing now it's that's not what i miss like i i just miss the the day to day being around these guys and i feel like i'm in a position right now in my life where i can do the two things that i love the most which is teaching us history and coaching football and i can still have dinner with my wife every night and you know not be gone all weekend and all that kind of stuff so i feel like right now i have a good balance um with it and you know who knows maybe maybe someday but right now i'm pretty content being a high school football coach and history teacher yeah and you mentioned that that you know when you move to the next level it's it's a different type of grind right we we see it with all these coaches at the collegiate and the professional level those people are away from their family for long periods of time um the grind is is definitely different now you uh let's talk about this covid-19 um, obviously, it's been a crazy year this year. Um, 2020's thrown a lot of different things at us. Can you talk about how COVID-19 has impacted your program and kind of how you're staying connected with your student athletes? And I know they pushed the, the fall season back into next year, but kind of what, what's, your, what's your program looking like right now and the, the steps you're taking to ensure that the, the players are ready once, um, once things open back up and we're able to play? Well, I mean, it's impacted the program in every conceivable way it's um it's been really difficult it's been the biggest challenge um of my professional life and you know i've i've been a coach on teams where we only won a couple games in a season and i thought that was a real test of you know of of leadership abilities and and you know metal and things like that but this is a real test you know th this has been really hard um you know, for people in leadership positions everywhere, whether it's, you know, people who own a business. I can't imagine being a person right now who owns a business, who has employees who are counting on you. And a lot of times it's this really frustrating and helpless feeling of not having answers. You know, school administration, um, that just, I feel like a lot of people right now who are in those positions of leadership, you don't necessarily have a, a concrete answer that you can give people to most of their questions. So um, I would say our, our um, kind of response to this whole thing has changed as we've gone. Um, when this started in March, you know, when, when we got the email saying, okay, we're not coming to school next week, none of us expected this. Not, you know, I never thought I'd be in my classroom alone in October um, teaching 100% uh, virtually. I, I just never thought that would happen. So when it first started in March, we, approach things as if this would be a few weeks and you know uh we were still planning for spring football in may at that point we didn't know um so we were continuing to have these uh zoom meetings with the kids uh where we would kind of cover our our uh, base offense and defense and things like that um in preparation for spring and if not spring then at least we'd be ready to go for summer and then started to get closer to june and it became pretty clear we're not going to probably be out there in, in the summertime. So it's a hard thing to figure out as a coach because, um, I mean, how many how many months of meetings can you have with your kids? <laughs> right, exactly. You know? Like the, they're kids. They're not coaches. This is not what they love about football. Right. They don't love, you know, the part that we love as coaches uh, for the most part. And also we know just in terms of the the pedagogy of this and and how learning takes place if i can't take what we're doing in a meeting and then go out onto the practice field and have the kids actually um use what we just learned then how much retention is there right. um you know i'm not gonna 
if we're lucky enough to get on the field and start practicing in December, I'm not going to say, how did you miss that assignment? Don't you remember our Zoom meeting we had in June? You know, right, right, exactly. we covered this. Um, so the, the ways that we've kind of stayed connected with the kids during this time are, first of all, just checking in on them. Um, it's, it's really something as simple as just like texts. Hey, how are you doing? How are things going? You know, how are your classes? How's the family? All that kind of stuff. Um, we do have uh, team meetings uh, once every couple of weeks, just like check-in type meetings with the kids. And then we also do virtual team workouts um, throughout the course of the week. So the way that the restrictions are right now, it, it doesn't make sense for us to try to bring the kids on campus. Um, you can do 10 kids at a time, um, which for football is not very practical, um, as you know. So we're doing virtual team workouts for now. And our plan is that as soon as the district tells us we're in phase two, meaning we can have our whole team together here um, outside and spread apart, but at least get all the kids here at the same time, um, we're going to continue with the virtual workouts. So the preparation part of it is um, I'm concerned more about it physically than, than anything else. Um, I think uh, we'll, we'll be in a fortunate position this year because we've got basically our whole coaching staff coming back. Same offense, same defense. There should be some familiarity there. And we're going to, you know, parse things down a little bit and really simplify. And I think that's what this year is going to be about, um, getting really good at running a few things. Because if you try to run everything this year, there's not enough time to get good at it, I don't think. Um, but physically getting them ready, yeah, I mean, it's October right now. Right. We, we have to be able to get these kids in a weight room um, and start building their bodies up. This isn't a sport you can just start playing you know, um, at least not at this level. So I'm hopeful that soon we'll be able to get the kids in the weight room and uh, start to really build up, uh, especially their shoulders, their traps, their necks, um, everything that all these places where they need to be really strong in order to be safe playing. Yeah, it's, in, it's interesting you mentioned that. Um, I've spoken to a lot of people in a number of sports and we've talked about, you know, which kids are out there actually have the ability and are working out on their own. And in a sport like football, if you have kids that are not working out, um, not getting stronger, once that you know, once they get on the field and that physicalness comes into play, um, you'll you'll see a huge difference in in the abilities and just their their ability to maintain their body and and be on the field um, and not cause injury or things like that. Yep. So um, let's talk about your coaching philosophy. Let, um, I know your coaching philosophy. We've had conversations <laughs> before. Um, it's 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 what I like. It's power football. But talk a little bit about how that came. Um, to be your your thing and and what that actually means for Franklin and kind of your guys's direction you go with the program talk a little bit about that well um I guess I've I've kind of been on a a, a strange uh, journey uh at, you know philosophically speaking from an offensive point of view um and I think for me it's kind of been dependent on where I'm at and what kind of kids I have um, at Christian Brothers, uh, when I was the offensive coordinator, we were a spread team. That's the kind of personnel that we had, um, and that allowed that gave us the best chance to win uh, games on Friday nights. And so that was a really good offense for us to run there. Um, getting here to Franklin and playing in the Delta League, um, kind of realized after the first year that uh, it, it will benefit us more and we have personnel that better fits a power running game. Um, you know, we're, we're really lucky here. We have a lot of tight end types. We have a lot of fullback types. Um, and 
I've also really fallen in love with the under center um, aspect of, of power football and the play action possibilities that come off of it. You just can't replicate that. I don't think out of the gun. Um, so it gives us a chance to put our quarterbacks in positions to be successful as well, um, which is something that we really like. And then we like the mentality part of, of saying we're going to come out every week and we're going to run the football and we're going to be physical. And the, the game has gone so far in the spread direction that um, I really think the idea of being different can benefit you um, as a football team, unless you are, you know, Folsom, uh, Oak Ridge, schools like that, um, that have incredible, uh, you know, receiver talent and all this kind of stuff. Don't get me wrong. We have talented guys, but those schools will out-talent you in a lot of cases. For us, we thought if we can be different, um, if we can run something that other schools don't see every week. Um, another big part of it is, you know, these kids spend all off season at their seven on seven stuff, you know, great athletes and, and they have a blast playing seven on seven. And I think that's really fun. Um, but we're going to kind of say when you play us on, on a Friday night, you're not going to get to use any of that. Like we're going to make you get in the box. We're going to make you tackle. We're going to make you take on lead blockers. Um, and, and we're going to make you play a type of football that, that you don't practice all year round. That's, uh, that's kind of the mentality behind it. It's, it's, it's funny you, you say that because most of the time you see quarterbacks who turn into coaches. They want, you know, quarterbacks like to throw the ball. They want to incorporate this spread offense and toss the rock all around the field. So hearing a quarterback who's now turned to offensive coordinator, head coach, talk <laughs> about power running football, it's, uh, it's, a, it's kind of a breath of fresh air, right? It's, it's something different. And I think mentioning, you know, running the ball, controlling the clock, playing tough defense, it's no matter, no matter how football changes, that's a, that's a successful strategy. We see it every year in the NFL. Um, we see it every year in college. These spread offenses, they do what they do. But when it comes to playoff time and when it comes to, to crunch time, the teams that run the ball and can play solid defense are usually there in the end. Um, regardless of what else is going on. Yeah. I, really, I think that's cool. You look at uh, the end of every football season. You look at the last round um, of the playoffs into the section championship games. That For the most part, it is running football teams. You know, uh, Elk Grove last year um, in D2, uh, Monterey Trail uh, in D1 going up and, and beating Folsom and then hanging in there with Oak Ridge after that. Um, it's It's teams that can run the football like that consistently. I just – I feel like it's kind of a security blanket for me as a coach, to be honest, um, because I remember as a spread guy, there are just more things that you are concerned with, like in terms of weather and, in, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I've also been around some uh, really awesome offensive line coaches who I think have uh, indoctrinated me a little bit. And, um, you know, once you're around some great O-line guys, and I, I've heard Kyle Shanahan talk about this, I think he's totally right. Uh, you realize that the run game is just fascinating you know, and the more gaps that we can add, the better, the more pullers and, and lead blockers we can add, the better, like, that's beautiful to me. And uh, the, the pass game stuff is great too, but I just, um, you know, I'm flipping around the channels now that college football is back. And when you go channel to channel and you just see spread, 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 it's kind of boring. And yeah, yeah, it's like, it's nice to see something different. And, yeah. and uh, so that's why whenever North Dakota state is playing or something like that, I, I want to watch them. And, you know, it's, it's just something different about being able to turn around, hand the ball off and run it down the defense's throat 
there's a different level of energy you get from your team. Um, not your offensive line who obviously, you know, probably enjoys that more than anything, right? Pass blocking, they're just up. Okay. I protect it and it's over. Um, when you get to run block and you get out there and you're moving and you're just running it down people's throats, I think there's something that kind of builds this team chemistry and the kind of energy that is pumped into you when, when you're doing that. So I, agree. I definitely, definitely agree there. I'm, I'm a big fan of the power of football. I love running the ball. Um, that's you're, you're doing all right there with me. So keep, keep doing that. <laughs> all right. Um, good. One other thing I wanted to touch on, and I wanted to see, get your kind of your perspective as it relates to high school football. We've noticed a lot of changes in rules at the professional and the collegiate level, um, tackling rules, helmet to helmet, it's making the defenses have to think a little bit more. Um, a lot, a lot of these guys, they're not taught to tackle at that level. They're taught to just hit now, right? It's just go make a play. Um, so how do you feel about those rule changes and trying to incorporate the safety? And then how do you teach that to your kids? Um, ba those basic fundamentals of how to tackle somebody and do it to where, you know, we're not seeing these injuries or it, it's protecting both them and also the, the offensive players. So how do you kind of preach to your kids um, about that process. Yeah, it has changed a lot. I mean, it's changed a lot in in 15 years, in 10 or 15 years, you know, the way that, that we coach that. But I think it's good. And, um, you know, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not old school in the sense that uh, I think those rule changes are making the game soft or anything like that. I mean, it's still an incredibly physical game. And I think whatever rule changes we – need to institute to keep the game safe and to keep kids playing and to keep parents comfortable with their kids playing. I'm all for it. Um, so I, I'm not one of the guys who, uh, who longs for the days that a, uh, a safety could just launch, you know, crown of his helmet first into a receiver going over the middle, you know, the old uh, jacked up stuff on uh, ESPN. Um, it, it, it's not like we're outlawing hitting, you know, you can still hit people. You can still hit people hard. Um, and the game still does come down to physicality, no matter how, how much we change the rules. It's just doing it the right way. Um, so, yeah, it's just we have to coach it. You know, that's our job. We have to coach it. Um, we teach a, a hawk tackling technique, which is what, you know, most people are doing now, really similar to a rugby type tackle. Um, I love how many of our guys play rugby because that type of tackling is, is what we're working on now with, with football. Um, so it's just kind of, it's the opposite of the way that, that I was taught and that a lot of us were taught growing up, which was, you used to be taught to get your head across that, that ball carrier's body, you know, like, like your neck was going to create some type of a wall that they wouldn't be able to run through. Uh, when you really think about it, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, the, the idea of leading with your near foot and striking with your near shoulder, um, is a much more efficient way to tackle. Um, and for us, we also find that it's a good way for us to prevent um, the cutback uh, as well, leading with that near foot and near shoulder. So we want the head completely out of the tackle. That's how we teach and coach it. Um, you know, practices look different now than they used to. Uh, we, we really don't go full contact and practice to the ground. Um, we'll, go, we'll go live to the whistle. But the biggest thing that we see in terms of causing uh, – injuries is when people are taken to the ground that's when it that's when it really happens so uh we we avoid that um you know we we get enough hitting into where it's not going to be shocking for kids on a friday night but we want to control it uh we don't want injuries in practice and then like another example of of a way that we have to change things a little bit because of the rules 
it used to be that crackback blocks were awesome. You know, people would get fired up about them. Oh man, that's great. And really you're just hitting a guy who doesn't see you coming. It's not a particularly tough guy thing to do, but um, that's a huge penalty now. And there are touchdowns that are getting called back regularly because one guy behind the play just, you know, annihilates some kid who's not even looking. So you have to practice that now. You have to practice with uh, your offensive players having like a, a kid who's on defense chasing after a ball carrier. Uh, have your offensive player who's out in front of the play uh, do the run by where, you know, you're going to kind of run by and throw your hands up and uh, I'm not going to, to strike them. I'm not going to throw my shoulder into them. I'm going to basically set a moving screen um, like you would in basketball. So um, yeah, we just have to adjust the way that we teach it, but whatever it takes to make it safer, I'm, I'm all for that. When you think about it, the, if you look at the big picture and kind of the goal, the goal of the play is to, to score or to, you know, get a certain amount of yards. Somebody's running behind the play and you get in front of them for that half a second, your ball carrier is gone. That person's out of the play usually anyways. Um, so these big crackback blocks that we, we like to see, you know, a lot of people like to see them because they're hard hitting. Um, they're not serving any type of purpose. They're not, uh, if you, like you said, if you just do the run by, it's, it's doing the same exact thing as if they would have, you know, put them into the ground, except now the player stays healthy. So right. I, I agree. I'm in favor of the rule changes. Um, I just, I just feel like, those programs need to do a good job of teaching these, these younger kids how to properly tackle. Um, and I honestly think it, it's a better product. I, I don't, I mean, when you watch the next level of football, I don't, I couldn't tell you how many missed tackles you see because people are just trying to hit hard and the guy bounces right off of them and they're, you know, they're going for, in for the touchdown. So I, right. I, I personally like the tackling idea and teaching form tackling and, and how that works um, on the, on the playing field. Um, I kind of want to touch on one other thing. And that's your message as a head coach for parents who may say football's too violent, football's too physical. Um, I know I get it when I coach at the youth, the youth level. It's, hey, my son can't play football because it's too violent. Um, do you have a message for those parents as far as um, obviously not giving them parental advice, but just their, the, the atmosphere of football and the, thing, the positive things being on a football team can bring to a young, young men or, or young men or young women um, I know for my son personally, his first time ever playing football, he was like, I have a total different mentality about who I am. Um, it bred confidence. Can you talk a little bit about that and what your feelings are um, towards those parents who may be a little bit timid to, to let their child play? Yeah, um, I understand. You know, I, I understand. And I would never tell someone that uh, it's not dangerous uh, to play football. Football is a physical game and it's a game that can be um, dangerous so can a lot of sports or activities that a young kid could take part in you know and i would say to a parent i'd encourage a parent to come out to a practice and watch what football looks like today because it looks different as we mentioned a few minutes ago it looks different than it did 10 15 years ago the way that we practice the way that we teach tackling uh the way that we treat contact during a practice it's it's very different now and um there really is an effort being made to keep this game safe uh, and I think you also see it with the, the seriousness with which we, we treat injuries now, you know, um, coaches, you know, at least coaches on, on my staff, I think coaches at most places aren't going to tell a kid to, you know, shake it off and get back out there. If a kid says that, you know, something doesn't feel right or, uh, that they hurt their head on a particular play. We take that stuff really seriously now. 
um, which is important and how it should be. So I would say, you know, if football, I don't think is more dangerous than other sports. Uh, there are other sports that have higher concussion rates than football, you know, things like uh, girls soccer has a higher concussion rate than, than playing football does. Um, so I would also just tell parents that um, the benefits or the positives that come from this game, if I didn't think they vastly outweighed uh, any potential risk, then I wouldn't be a, a head football coach. Um, so many of us are at a point where we can't imagine what our lives would be like or who we would be as men if we didn't get to play this game. Um, I just think it's the ultimate team game. It's the ultimate game in terms of uh, sacrificing for another person, being part of something that's bigger uh, than yourself, um, learning resilience, uh, learning fortitude and mental and physical toughness. Uh, I just I think the game brings about so many wonderful qualities uh, in in young men. It's it's really really important, and it teaches them how to work hard for something um, that's going to be delayed in terms of gratification. You know, like we can get some of these kids showing up at six thirty every morning for workouts when our season is still eight months away. That's a really incredible thing, and it's something that's going to benefit them the rest of their lives. So. Uh, I would just tell parents, look, the benefits of this game are not about football. The benefits of this game are um, your kid learning accountability, learning how to be part of a team, uh, how to be a person that others can trust, how to do the right thing when other people aren't looking. Um, these, are, these are things that I think are hard to learn a lot of other places. I think that's what's so great about athletics and, and about football in particular. Uh, well said there, uh, Coach Boyle, and I, I couldn't have said it better myself. Well said. Um, thank you for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. Uh, I know you can't wait to get back on the field and teach these young men again, uh, um, the, all those things that you just spoke about. I really appreciate your time. Uh, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome back in the Sideline to Sideline, the podcast. Aaron Bukes here. I would like to introduce a very special guest, my boy Marshawn Tate, repping the 49ers gear. Uh, I've known him for a long time, man. Played ball with him. He's out of West Sacramento. He's he's still travel. Recently, he still was traveling across the country playing playing football and stuff, man. He just <laughs> he just decided to hang him up, talking about retirement and all that. So we had a little <laughs> conversation about retirement off the air. But uh, tell him what's up, Marshawn. Introduce yourself. How you guys doing out there? Like you said, Marshawn Tate, um, coming out of West Sac, been knowing Aaron for a long, long time. Balled with them several times in the West Sac uh, Flag Football League. Um, definitely good people, man. And and I wanted to just say uh, I appreciate you having me on the show, having me as a guest. You know, it's for me, it's an honor and a privilege. You know, because um, there's no not programs like this coming out of West Sac as far as like podcasts and you know what I'm saying sports talk and and commentary and stuff. And so. You, you're pretty much trailblazing right now for West Sac, and just for me to be a part of it, I appreciate it. Thank you. No doubt, no doubt. That's what I'm trying to do, man. I'm trying to give local sports fans an opportunity to speak their mind outside of the social media platform, um, just kind of interact with each other and, and talk sports, man. Shoot the shit, uh, give our opinions, kind of our, you know, our take on these players, these teams, and have a little fun at the same time. So I'm glad you're joining me. We're not going to waste any time. We're going to get right into it. We've, we've gone back and forth, Niner fan, Cowboy fan. Obviously, we got a long, long-standing rivalry. But I want to talk about the state of your team. I want to talk about the state of the Niners. And a lot of people come on. Uh, my co-host, my original co-host, Akeem, he's a Niner fan. They call me a hater. Uh, 
at the end of the day, I try to keep it as unbiased as possible. I am a Niner hater. I will admit that. But I'm also a football fan, and I can recognize when, when teams are good and when teams are doing things right. But right now, the state of the Niners, we've seen a lot of injuries. We've seen, you know, up and down quarterback play outside of Jimmy Garoppolo. The division you're in is tough. Wait, 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 wait. Did you say outside of Jimmy Garoppolo? Outside of Jimmy Garoppolo. Say it a little louder for those in the back. That's right. Outside of Jimmy Garoppolo. And we're going to get into that Nick Mullins talk that we heard this past couple of weeks. But I kind of want just an overall picture um, of your view of the Niners and where they're at and kind of what you see as far as the rest of the season going forward. So the 49ers, I mean, honestly, a lot of people were like, we think that we're in a really bad spot because of all the injuries, especially the key season-ending injuries to, um, you know, our star players like Nick Bosa, you know, um, D, well, not D4, but uh, Solomon Thomas, uh, Sherman going on IR. But me personally, I think we're in a good spot right now. Um, we're, we're injured, but we're injured early, you know, and we got plenty of time to get healthy to make that stretch run. You know what I'm saying? We're only at the quarter pole. You know, we got three more quarters of, of regular season to go. And, you know, looking down the list of the injuries, we got guys coming back every week. So, you know, I think we're in a good spot right now. Uh, I, I agree. You know, I think, I think there's a lot of overreaction to injuries early in the season. Obviously, the, the season-long injuries, you know, to Nick Bosa and Solomon Thomas, you can't, you know, there's no coming back from those, those players. But what it does do, it allows other people and it allows your depth to get experience during the regular season. And for a team like the Niners, who everybody kind of anticipates to be in the playoffs, later in the season, that experience is going to be extremely valuable. And, you know, you, you talked about the, the, the Sherman injury. And, and again, it's just getting those other guys to step up. And without preseason, without an offseason camp, younger guys or guys that weren't, weren't expected to see the field, they're going to get an opportunity. Um, one thing I do have concerns about, I do have concerns about the division. I think the division is a lot stronger this year than even last year when it was really good. Um, I do believe Arizona got a little better, and I think the Rams are better than they were last year as well. But when you look at the NFC overall, I think the landscape still allows the 49ers to be right there in the mix um, when it comes to playoff time. And I think, I think John Lynch and, and, Mike, or, and um, Shanahan have done a really, really good job of kind of creating this foundation there in, in San Francisco to, I don't want to say relive the glory days, but they've set themselves up nice to, nice to be good. That's a high bar. That, yeah. The glory days, right. that bar is way up there. Right. We almost, now, had we would have won that game that I really don't like to talk about. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> does. Okay, had we won that game, okay, now you're talking about, you know, we, we coming back to the glory days. But but, but even yeah. so, the glory days, I'm, I just mean, you know, what every fan wants is to be in contention every year. I mean, we all, if we're realistic, we all know we're not going to win the Super Bowl every year, right? So if you're in contention every year and you have something to cheer for and you're in playoffs, I think that matters. And we talk about it with my own team, the inconsistencies, the up and downs. I think they've laid a foundation in San Francisco that has allowed them to be good for a long period of time. Oh, they're going to be good for some years. And, and that's how I feel. I'll just have to deal with it. If you don't like, if you don't like the Niners, just, just tell yourself for the next – Three to five years, you're going to have to deal with it. Because you're right. They built a very solid uh, foundation there in San Francisco. And, and um, they're only going to get better as they get healthier. Yeah, I agree. Now, you've been, you've been very vocal on social media <laughs> lately, especially about Jimmy Garoppolo. And we brought him up. And some of the talk was about Nick Mullins after he, I mean, the Jets and the Giants, let's be honest, right? He played right. well. And the first thing was like, oh, Nick Mullins, 
Let's trade Jimmy Garoppolo. Get I mean, rid of the contract. I, I, I honestly say, I, I would say two-third or a third of the fan base was literally talking about trade Jimmy G and let Mullins be the starter against two of the worst teams Terrible. that happen to play in the same stadium in the Terrible. NFL. Terrible. They're bad. You know? I, don't, I don't understand why everybody was you know, uh, so quickly, so ready to just toss Jimmy to the side based off of that one small sample size of Mullins. It's, it's the overreaction that, that fans have, right? I'll, be, I'll, I'll admit, I'm not the biggest Jimmy Garoppolo believer. I never have been. I'm not going to put him up there with the elite quarterbacks. And I've been, I've been very vocal about that. But in the NFL, I, I'm also aware that you don't need an elite quarterback to be in contention or to win. You need a quarterback that fits a system. You need there a quarterback. You, you have, I mean, the Niners are right now built on a running game, play action pass, um, a quarterback that's not going to turn the ball over, and a solid great defense and if you look I, I brought this up on um, one of the podcasts earlier look at the three of the four teams that were in the in the championship games last year the Niners Green Bay Tennessee and the Chiefs three of those four teams were built really on defense and running the ball even Green oh, Bay last year oh yeah no Green Bay Aaron Jones is a beast they were built on running the ball last year and everybody said Aaron Rodgers that his money. Oh, that's he, all I gotta say about it give him his money back the, the Brinks truck up to Aaron Jones He's got to be in the conversation with uh, McCaffrey, with uh, Saquon Barkley, with uh, Alvin Kamara. If you don't have him in that conversation, I don't know what you're watching. I mean, that guy is just a stud. And, and that's coming – that's just pure respect as a great football player against a, a, a longtime rival of the 49ers. Aaron yeah. Jones, is, he's hot right now. Very underappreciated as a running back. I think he doesn't get the notoriety that, you know, some of the Zeeks and the Saquons, those guys Definitely. get. Um. So, yeah, so I, th I think the way they're building their foundation, Jimmy Garoppolo is almost this perfect fit into what they do. At times, do we think, yeah, he should play better or do things? Of course, we all want him to yeah. be better. But I don't think there's this necessary need for to jump, go all up in arms because Nick Mullins has two good games or a game and a half where he lights it up against two weak teams. And the Niner fans just need to stop. Well, let's talk about the game that he had the last <laughs> game he was out. That was the real Nick Mullins. <laughs> You know, uh, where was, where was he throwing that ball? <laughs> he thought he was throwing it to the wrong, to the right team. But I mean, man. clearly he just uh, layups. Those were layups, man. You know, the, the first interception in the first half in the red zone, uh, it looked like he was kind of throwing the ball away, but I mean, it's a layup turnover. You just tossing the ball out there and those things you can't do. And you know, with Jimmy last year, you know, he, he threw a lot of interceptions, but what I liked about those interceptions were those are interceptions where he's trying to fit the ball in. He's taking a shot and, you know, he's going for it. And that's the same style of play that Brett Favre, you know, had in a long, for a long time in Green Bay. And you see what kind of success he had with it. Uh, I mean, Jimmy G took us to the Super Bowl. So for all the turnovers and, and, and the times where he was really cringed with his play, he had a lot of great plays and he took us all the way to the, to the promised land. We just came up short. Well, let's, I mean, let's be real. Quarterbacks turn the ball over. They throw interceptions. Running backs fumble. Wide receivers drop passes. That's – that's part of the position. It's going to happen. And there's some level of you have to deal with certain things, right? Every right, quarterback right. turns the ball over at some point in time. How I was just – How many turnovers does he have this year? Oh, Jimmy? Oh, yeah. I mean, come on. He only played it. I mean, it's a small sample. <laughs> Two games. No, no. But, 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 you know, I'm going to talk my shit. Yeah, Jimmy he, G. Jimmy G right now, top five in the league in QBR. He's top five, definitely top five better league. than any option that the Niners have outside of him, obviously. Definitely. But I, so – Real quick, this week, if Jimmy G does not play, C.J. Beathard or Nick Mullins? 
<sighs> I know it's like throwing darts blind, but <laughs> we're playing Miami. So throw throw Bethard out there and let's g- give him a shot. He seemed like he came in and he had a good grasp of the offense, which I expect because he's been in the system for a few years. Uh, but I think what the thing that I seen with him at the end of that game compared to how Mullins played throughout the beginning of that game was he just came in with that killer instinct. He came in with that dog. And I felt like Mullins, after that first uh, incompletion to Juice, he almost looked like he kind of had deer in the headlights. He had happy feet. And it, it, it just carried throughout the game. He never really settled down. So go with that hot hand. I mean, that's what Shanahan's known to do. Go with I, the hot hand. I agree. I, I think Beathard's the start here if, if Jimmy's not unable to play. I think, I think the way he came in, I think he was like, I'm confident. Well, this is my opportunity. I'm going to take advantage of it. Um, yeah. you know, move up the depth chart, if anything, right? Maybe Jimmy. He had that back. dog. Yeah, he was ready. So I, I agree there. Now, <laughs> let's, talk, let's talk about this division. The Cardinals have looked a little suspect the last couple of weeks, I'll admit. I was really high on them. I thought they were getting better, but they looked a little suspect the last couple of weeks. We're going to get to some t- Cardinal talk in a minute. But yeah. the Rams, I, I really like what I've seen from them. I think their defense is vastly improved. And Seattle obviously is Seattle. They're always going to be, you know, give the Niner fits. They're always going to play them tough. But I worry about their defense. Their defense looks like there's holes all over. Can't stop nobody. But they do got that little little thing running around the field making plays in Russell Wilson. So and that's that's my pick for the MVP. You know what I'm saying? I'm jumping ahead maybe, but no, that's, um, that's perfect. I think that's I, gonna be my pick for this year's MVP. It's it's between him and Aaron Rodgers, hands down. Those guys are just playing lights out right now. Agreed there. I actually those are my top two MVP favorites as well. Um, I kind of want to see where you think you guys fit in this division. Obviously, the Rams, Seattle, three and one, Niners, two and two, and the Cardinals, two and two. Hey, I'm going to surprise some people, and it's not because I'm a homer. 49ers are the second best team in this division right now. Right now. I, I get it. The Rams would be undefeated if they wouldn't have blown that 28 point lead to Buffalo. Uh, and Buffalo's undefeated. Josh Allen playing lights out right now. Great team. Um, but the reason why I think the 49ers are the best, the second best team in that league right now is again, we're getting healthier every week. we got so many injuries. You know, we got so many backups and backups to those backups playing right now. And yeah, we're last in the division at two and two tied with Arizona, but let's dig a little deeper into those stats. Go to the net points, go to net points scored. 49ers are the number one team in that division in net points scored. Seattle's number two. The Rams are number three. I like the Rams. I like what they're doing on offense, but that game with Buffalo scared me a little bit with them as far as giving them too much, you know, praise and too much credit. That that defense, uh, they shouldn't have lost that game. And I get it. Buffalo's a great team, but I can't put the Rams over the 49ers based off of what I'm seeing as far as how the 49ers are playing with all the injuries and how they're playing with a fully healthy squad. One, th- one thing I'll say about the Rams that I'm worried about is their lack of run game consistency. Um, as the season goes on, we saw it. We saw it even last year as the season waned on their offensive line's not very good. And they don't really have a guy back there since the departure of Todd Gurley. They've kind of gone to this running back by committee and nobody's really been able to be consistent enough. I think that hurts them as the season goes on. And I, I agree. I think the Niners right now are the second best team. I was hoping to say it was Arizona, but I've been disappointed the way they've played over. You the was on Arizona. I, I really could talk a lot of That's crap. That's my sleeper. Because you talk so much about Arizona and how they was going to be so great. 
That's my Kyler Murray, as, as good as he is, he just he's gonna turn the ball over too much with that style of play. Oh no, no doubt. I mean, I'm not. I didn't want to say they're a Super Bowl team, but they're they're my sleeper team. I still think. I still think at the end of the season, so I need to dig back in the I, I thought you said they was gonna do better than the Niners, man, but I'm not sure. No, I, no, I, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. I when I did my when I did my predictions, and we can pull the tape. I still picked the Niners to win the division. Okay. I still have the Niners winning the division. So then you I, had Arizona over Seattle. I, I had Arizona making the playoffs. But remember, we extended the playoffs. Now it's seven teams. Yep, that's right. So I, I honestly think right now still, I think three, possibly four teams could still get in from the NFC West. And the reason I say that is because, let's be honest, the NFC East is trash. And yeah. they don't deserve one team, but one team's going to get in. I'm, yeah. I'm thinking two teams possibly from the South. Outside of that, it's one team from – the North, that leaves three teams. I like Dallas. That's what I was going to tell you, man. I like, <laughs> Dallas. I like Dallas in that division. And it's not just because the division is so bad that it's playing back, that, that, you know, it's played back to Dallas. I just like the fact that you guys can outscore anybody. You know, and, and that's, a bad, that's not a bad problem to have. Yeah, the defense is really shaky right now. But that's how the Chiefs pretty much that's, won last year. Wait, 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 wait. More than everybody. You being you being nice. Did you just call our defense just shaky? That defense is awful. Hey, you know, it, <laughs> that you guys are like hey. a damn uh, uh, strainer. Bro, That's how you guys are stopping people, right? That, that defense is leaky. We need to call the plumbers. I, you know what? I, I agree with you in the fact that I think the Cowboys are going to win that division. But we have some serious, serious issues on the defensive side of the football. And we need to stop turning the ball over on offense because – you know, we can, we got to give some help, right? Right. Uh, but I think a lot of it is to do with the this. I think it's a scheme that Nolan's running. You know, um, those you guys. Should, you should know best. Come on, man. What, yo, what y'all do to us, giving us that guy? Right. Well, he no, was, no, no. <laughs> hey, he was he like, was he was free. y'all's first. He was free for the taking. Y'all selected that. I don't know, man. <laughs> you picked your poison, but you know, Nolan, it, it, the system that he's those guys are set up with uh, Rob Marinelli, right? Well, that, that's that's yeah, exactly. We went from a four-three to a three-four. That's we got, right. We got our all-pro defensive end, who's used to being hand in the dirt, now trying to stand up, and it's different. Which is why you see the best player on our defense right now. Who is it? It's Alden Smith, who and played a system that he likes to play, right. standing up. Exactly. That's him perfectly, and that was a great signing. I I don't know if it was you that I told man, but I, I told one of my other buddies. He's a real big-time Dallas fan, um, out of Washington. That's going to be the signing of the year for you guys. He oh, is, I, I love it. As long as he stays on the track that he's on right now, Aldon Smith is a baller. I love him. He's a beast. He's, he's all over the field. Um, Although, so, you guys put out an MIA for him last game. No, nah, man. <laughs> he was, <laughs> he was nowhere to be found. I didn't, it was just such a fall off of the game before. I was kind of shocked. You know, I thought he was going to put up a little bit of a better performance than that. You know what's interesting is – I think every team that comes in to play Dallas looks at our teams like, man, we're going to shred them. Like, and and we, we, look, we look like we're, we're playing at half speed. There's no energy. And I'm, I'm literally watching that last reverse to Odell Beckham. And Alden actually got in and made him go even back further. And I'm like, where the hell is the rest of the defense? It yeah. looked like they were all just jogging. And that's and something that never tackle, happened. Yeah, that's something that never high happened. High arm tackles, tapping pads. I mean, you're not getting nobody down. That's soft. You should, that's... you should be, as a defensive guy, you should be, like, licking your chops when he's cutting back from the sideline. Yep. I'm going to kill this guy. Yeah. And it was just like they all whiffed. Yeah, that's, that's, something, that's something we didn't have. That's not an issue under Rod Marinelli. 
for whatever no. reason. We never had the most talent, but the guys were always at the ball, running hard. If they missed tackles, they missed tackles, but they were there. And I was just disappointed that we didn't have any kind of energy. Yeah. So, so, so we know you got Seattle in the West. We know you got Dallas in the East. Uh, talk about these other NFC comp or divisions. Um, obviously, it looks like Green Bay's hands down the best team in their division. They look honestly. They look like the. Uh, I got Green like Bay number one in the NFC right now. Yeah, they look like a Super uh, Bowl favorite. I got them as that's the team to beat in the NFC right now. They're playing well on both sides of the ball, but Aaron Jones and Williams, those two running backs. I mean, did you see Williams' last game? He didn't run the ball very effectively, but he had 95 yards receiving. Um, Aaron Rodgers, though, he's just why did they why did they have to piss that man off? Hey, he's unreal, bro. <laughs> hey, he said he said taking a quarterback, no way. Discount double check on that ass. Like they made him mad, and you could tell he's playing with his hair on fire, uh, and he's he's having fun. I mean, every time the camera goes to him after he throws a touchdown, you know, it's just all smiles. The energy is as good as he played last year. The energy that he's showing this year and the, the play is far beyond what it was last year. And it's, it's scary for the rest yeah. of the NFL right you know, now. You know, I was watching, I was watching some uh, programming earlier, and he made a quote on, I think, Pat McAfee's like, podcast or radio show. He says, it's funny, you know, people talk about his down year. Like, last year was a down I year. I saw that. And he goes, it's funny that my down year is still better than most quarterbacks' like, best years. Think That's like, a career year. My down year is a career year for somebody else. He threw, he and, threw what, 26 touchdowns to four interceptions last year. And everybody said, oh, he had a bad year. Like that NFC, NFC championship game, although you know the result of that. I mean, <laughs> we pretty much – we smacked them both times we played them. I mean, you owned, you owned Green Bay last year. I think owned them. there was a lot of things. You got, they were definitely outcoached in those games. They were out personnel. They, it just – the Niners definitely had their number last year. And it seems like whenever we play them in the playoffs – Run it up on the rushing because, I mean, we just run all over those guys. From Aaron or from uh, Kaepernick, that 180-yard rushing game, to Mostert's 200 yards. I mean, we just, for some reason, when we play them in the playoffs, we well, you know, You know, we as a football guy, a lot of it's matchups, right? Matchup base, you get familiar with a, a scheme or even a, an organization that you've played a lot of the times. I mean, Dallas and the Niners had these battles back in the 90s. Um, you just know how to play against certain teams or certain players and certain quarterbacks. Green Bay struggles with the misdirection. That well, misdirection, you, you show them, you show them this, we're going this way, it looks like we're going this way, and then boom, we're going back up the field. They don't, and then uh, I'm trying to think of that linebacker, I think his name is Rodriguez or something, he plays for the Giants now. And Oh, oh shit, I know his name. You know who I'm talking about, right? Yes. yes. Completely exposed. Lost every time the, last year. In the Giants game against the 49ers with the misdirection. Same I mean, thing. just completely exposed. Okay. And you can see it, it's just they, the, the personnel that they got, in Green Bay, I don't know what it is, whether it's just us or other teams, but we seem to just really uh, do well with that misdirection running game against them. Yeah, and Shanahan, I mean, Shanahan's known for that, right? He's, his dad was known for it. He's known for it. Um, he's obviously done good things there. He plays with uh, the eyes, for sure. Yes, he does. AFC, um, I've been on record. I don't care what anybody says. I'm me, on the Chiefs until the Chiefs lose. Got you. <laughs> but let me, before we get to that, before we get to that, let me give you my, uh, my NFC rank, my top five. Green Bay, Seattle, 49ers, Tampa, L.A. Then I got Dallas right there. They just scored too many damn points. I got Dallas right there. I got Dallas above Philly. I got them above Arizona. Well, you uh, talk about New Orleans. You ain't got New Orleans in there anyway? 
man, I'm not really feeling New Orleans right now. Like, I'm really just worried about Drew Brees. Like, he's not really, you know what I'm saying? He's just, he's really shaky, and he doesn't look like the same guy that we saw last year and the year before. You know, um, maybe it's father time. He is undefeated. So he is. Everybody that's out there listening, do not think that you could beat that man. He yeah, will beat we, you. Hey, we sure didn't. We're on the couch now talking about football. <laughs> yeah, we were just talking about that check engine light. Yep. It's going to come on. So um, I like New Orleans, but um, I really like Dallas, though, man. They score. They score. So I got them at six. I got them at a fringe six. I mean, that's fair. That's fair. That, honestly, those are the same teams. Maybe got a couple in a different order um, right now, but pretty much the same teams I have. I do have New Orleans in there. The, the teams you mentioned right now, I would say, are the favorites to get to the playoffs. Um, yeah. And, and I think that's probably consensus. I think the NFC is a lot – I think it's deeper than the AFC. I think the top six or seven teams in the NFC are, are legit. In the AFC, I don't have as many, quote-unquote, good teams. Um, yeah. I just don't see the depth there. Um, and as we move to the AFC, which is why I talk about Kansas City a lot, I just don't see I, – I don't see a team – that's going to be capable of beating Kansas City. And I, the only team right now that after watching Monday night's game that I'm like, I might have to rethink that. And I don't, I don't want to say it because I, I was all wrong about this, and that's the Patriots. And the reason I say the Patriots, because if Cam Newton is healthy and playing like Cam Newton's been playing, Belichick just does something to Kansas City that no other team is able to do. I mean, through three and a half quarters of that game, it looked like Kansas City was a regular team. <clears throat> Belichick is great at neutralizing what you like to do. You know, he, he brings the game back to him. You want to throw the ball down the field every other play, we're going to take that away from you and force you to do what you don't do best. And that plays into New England's hands. Um, I think if they had Cam Newton in that game, it's a different outcome. I think they actually win that game. They knock off Kansas City. And this whole conversation about them being Superman and – there's nothing that could stop them. Well, they almost ran into kryptonite that night. They got lucky. I agree. I, I, I actually agree. I'm, I mean, I'm thankful because that's my Super Bowl pick, but yeah. I, I agree. I just, there's, I mean, obviously Patrick Mahomes is a special player. Um, you, you've seen it. I mean, time after time, I'm not going to take that away from him, but Bill Belichick does seem to have Kansas City's number when it comes to scheming. And I think, I think they were lucky last year not to have to face them. Um, and I knew there was other matchups that would be tougher for New England. And then everybody's kind of bringing up Buffalo. Uh, I like Buffalo. Buffalo. I, I like Buffalo a lot. I think they're, I think they're young. I think they're, they're talented. I, I, like just, Josh Allen. I just don't know yeah, if, when it matters most, is Josh Allen going to make the, oh, I'm running for the scramble, and then I, you know, fumble the ball because I'm trying to do too much he tends to do, or is he going to be able to stay within himself and trust the players around him? That's well, what, I that's what you saw last year, right? You saw that Josh Allen, like, trying to do too much, trying to, to, to force things to happen. And I think so far what you're seeing this year is a little bit more um, value of the football. He hasn't turned it over as much. He's making a lot more of the smart plays. Um, and, dude, Stefan Diggs. There's always a glimpse, though. I mean, I don't know if you watched the Raider game last week. He's, it's third and 20 or something. He's scrambling, and then he takes a 20-yard sack and knocks him out of field goal range late in the game. And it's those kind of things, like, that I just want to see him, you know what, throw the ball away, yeah. take the three points. But Diggs has made a huge difference. You brought up Diggs. Diggs, that was like the, the little bit of sugar or whatever to, to sweeten that tea 
And you know what I'm saying? To give it that taste. Like, watch out for them in the AFC, man. They're going to be a tough out. They got a great defense. Um, Tremaine Edwards has always been one of my favorite players when he was coming out of the draft. The 49ers had a chance to get him. I believe uh, we went with Foster that year, right? Yep. So, and we see where he's at. <laughs> and at the time, too, when he was coming out, he was the youngest player uh, in the draft. I believe he was like just shy of uh, uh, or just over 19 years old. I mean, he was young. And when you get in a guy like that, of that talent, at that age, you can lock him up, man. You got a decade of greatness. No doubt. The dude's going to be, you know, he's going to be talked about as one of the great linebackers for years. So um, I really do like Buffalo in the AFC. Um, I like, um, <clears throat> of course, the Chiefs and, you know, the Ravens are going to be there. But the team, that's my, that my team that I really think is going to make some noise in, in the AFC is the Colts, man. They got Buckner. You know, I'm a homer, so, you know, I got a little bit of bias. I really like Buckner. But he was the straw to steer that drink on the defense. He came in. Everybody's getting off the ball with number less. Number one defense in the league. Number one defense in the league. You know, his stats aren't really great. But what he's doing is he's opening up those lanes for people. He's taking those double teams. You have to double team him every third down. And if you're bringing the house on third down, you're going to get there. Or they're going to put pressure. And that's why they're leading the league in interceptions. I believe defensive touchdowns. Uh, Almost every category. Every category, yeah. They're just killing it. You know, that was one of that was my dark horse in the AFC at the beginning of the year for a number of reasons. Um, I think when you build a team the way they've built a team, solid offensive line play, run the ball, solid defense, stop the running game, and then you add a veteran quarterback like Phillip Rivers, who people think is washed, and that's fine. He's not going to go out and, you know, throw for 350 anymore, five touchdowns, whatever it is. But he's a veteran quarterback. He has great leadership. And he just, again, just having that veteran presence in the huddle, and then you put all those pieces around him, I, I think they are a team to watch. Um, I had them going probably to the divisional round this year, but the more I watch them play, if the defense plays like that, they can beat anybody. Imagine if they had Andrew Luck still. Oh, man. They would, oh. <laughs> I mean, they, they made a, I think they made a championship game in his like one of his first years in the league. Yep. That second, defense. Second or third year. It's nothing compared to what it is now. Uh, that running game, you know, they had a good running back, but Taylor is going to be an absolute beast. You know, he's kind of struggled a little bit these past few games, but once he gets rolling, you know, that guy's going to be hard to stop. He's 4'3", 40, um, you know, just solid running back. I believe he ran for 2,000 yards every year in college. So, Oh, yeah, um, you know, that Wisconsin, you, that's running back you right there. Oh, yeah. Michael Pittman Jr., um, I, I thought he got hurt. I can't remember. Yeah, that, it's unfortunate they lost him and Paris Campbell. But, yeah. again, I mean, we've seen they're winning and T.Y. Hilton's not doing a whole lot. They don't have their receiving, you know, their weapons that they just drafted, and they're still finding ways to win games. So Offense sure. isn't that great, and the defense is kicking ass. Who does that sound like? That <laughs> sounds like the 49ers from always, last year. Always got to bring it back to them Niners. Hey, <laughs> it just really boils down to it. It's the formula, right? Like you just said, great defense, run the ball, and you're going to win games. You're right. I mean, I, I agree. I, that's my that's my that's my preference, and that's why I get so frustrated with Dallas. Because yeah, we spread it around now. But when we were at bet our best, we ran Zeke. Why is Zeke not touching the ball? Man, I don't want to get into that. Pay the that's man a, that much amount of money. Give him the ball. He got a tattoo that says "Feed me." Well, hey, my what rant, you put that on for? Well, before you joined the show, my rant earlier on this on this show. So you'll have to go back and listen to yourself. But. Definitely. It's about the Cowboys and the, what they need to do now. 
and people are going to be surprised by what I think and they need to fix it. And um, if, I didn't want to say it, but I, I believe it's true at this point. I think honestly, and, and I didn't hear it. So I'm just going to, this is my guess. And I don't know how close it is to yours, but I think if you guys just run the ball, that'll fix a lot of your defensive problems. Yeah. That's not going to happen. You guys <laughs> throw for 500, 450 yards every, for three straight hey. games. You got the defenses on the field a lot. Da- exactly. Dak is on pace. Playing with effort. They Dak, Dak is on pace to throw for 6,000 plus yards. Yeah. That's ridiculous. And that's all fine and dandy, but that's, it's, what's, the, what's your record? Exactly. If it's not working for you, get back to what you guys used to do best and just have those hogs up front, get behind them, and run that man down the field. Just three years ago, Dak's a rookie, Zeke's a rookie, 1,600 yards rushing, led the league in time of possession. We went 13-3. and three. Rookie years. Formula. Oh. And, you know, if McCarthy doesn't get it fixed, he's going to coach himself out of Dallas possibly first year because there's too much talent on that team with the state of the division as a whole as far as you guys being able to still be in the hunt at one and three. Like, you guys are tied for first place. <laughs> crazy, right? Right? That's, that's nuts. That's crazy. With, with a team that only has two wins, I mean, or one win and, and a damn tie. So, I, can't, I can't believe y'all let them beat you, man. I was so mad. Great defensive line play, man. You got to give it up to the Eagles. They got, and, I, and that's why I said fringe team, because I'm not sure whether I want to put the Eagles or the Cowboys. You know, Carson Wentz's play so far this year has been so shaky. I, I can't really give them too much credit. But Dallas offensively, they're a juggernaut. So that's why I put Dallas up there, because they can beat anybody. As long as you score 35 game, you can beat anybody. You know? One more team I want to ask you about before I, I, I bring something up to end the show that I want to get on you about. Um, the Raiders. I know that's, you know, obviously that's your kind of Bay, old Bay Area rivalry. I want to know your take about the Raiders because I've been on record to say the, Ra- the Raiders are uh, trending this way up. And I like what Gruden has done there. I think when people got on him about trading Khalil Mack and Amari Cooper, it wasn't so much him saying, hey, these guys aren't talented. It was more about him saying, this is a new regime. I want to bring in my kind of guys and I want to start basically from, from the ground up. And I like, I like the steps they've taken. I like the Josh Jacobs. I'm still not sure about the Derek Carr. And I think they're still trying to evaluate that, but I like where they're going. Um, I I like they're, they're trying to be a physical football team and that's the kind of play again that I like. So I want to know your thoughts about the Raiders and where you see them in a couple of years from now. I like the Raiders. Um, they're trending up. The problem is they're just in the wrong division in the wrong decade. <laughs> Very true. Very true. <laughs> you, good point. Good they point. popped up Mahomes for 10 years. It's a wrap. That's a very, very good point. I didn't even think about that. It's a good point. I mean, it's just you guys, are, they're just in the wrong place for the wrong era. I mean, I really do like the Raiders, the direction they're going offensively. Um, I have to say um, – uh, what's the tight end's name? Um, oh, Waller. Oh man, Waller. that dude. Waller. Man. I mean, just hands down, you got to put him in that conversation as the best tight end in the league this year. Uh, I mean, you still can't talk when you say that. At the same time, you see Kittle go out and do the fifteen one eighty five. You know, you see K- Kelsey. Kittle, Kittle. Kittle's the best tight end in football. I don't. Yeah. I don't. I don't want to say it's not close, but I have Kittle here, and then I have Kelsey, probably below him, and then Waller. You know, the Zacherts, that's right, right there. Right, right. But like I said, he's in that conversation of the best in the league right now. Definitely balling. Josh Jacobs, great running back. 
Um, you know, for the Raiders, just keep him healthy. You know, he's kind of a smaller guy, but keep him healthy. Maybe get somebody in there that can kind of compliment him a little bit. I think that's a key, I think that's a good point. I think they need to find somebody that can kind of spell him every now and then because they give him yeah, a lot of touches. Daniel Richard, he's a Josh Jacobs. You know, he's the same guy, just not as good. Yeah. Um, but I do like Derek Carr. You know, I think he's kind of gotten a little bit of a bad rap. I mean, if you you were, you think about that year where he broke his leg and they went to the playoffs, they won the division. I mean, that could they could have had a deep run, you know. And it's just unfortunate that he had that really bad injury and they had to start. Um, Oh gosh, he was terrible. I can't even remember his oh, name. Well, they had like didn't they have like Matt McGloin that year? Was that Matt McGloin? That's who. It was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, I just felt so bad for them. Like they had such a great year, and then you got to go out with McGloin yeah. in the playoffs. And just, no chance. No chance. No chance. Like the game was over before it started. So um, give Derek Carr this season. If if they don't, if he's not still you know trending up, and he's not still doing the numbers that he was putting up before, I mean, then you got to maybe start looking down the road, but I like the Raiders. I like where they're going. Um, I like Crosby. He's a great player. Uh, a lot of people don't give him a lot of respect because oh, the year that they had. He's a baller. You know, but if you put those numbers side by side, they were like this, you know, only problem was the Raiders record was terrible and the 49ers went to the Super Bowl. So, I mean, obviously those players on this team are going to get a lot more recognition, but the Raiders do have great players. Um, I like what they're doing there. And um, definitely trending up, just wrong, wrong division, man. Wrong team. That's a great point. Patrick Mahomes is signed for ten years. Uh, yeah. Right. So you picked the wrong decade there, uh, John Gruden. You better hope for it. Well, I mean, you never want to wish injury, but it's like that's the only way you're winning. <laughs> Somebody like, needs to kidnap Mahomes, or he needs to get COVID. No, that's what I'm about to say. They're, they're probably not like, hey, can he get COVID real quick? He actually might have COVID. Because you saw that uh, he hugged um, Stephon Gilmore. Stephon Gilmore at the end of the game. And it's like, that even says, like, I got to have, you know, I had a better, you know, I had a little bit of a mental lapse. I mean. But what do you bro, do, you're, man? You're like the future, the decade, the forever, man. What are you thinking? Yeah. You need to be in bubble wrap, like, right after the game's over. It's, it's, a, it's a different time we live in, man, where football players can't say what's up to each other. You know, it, it's, it's, it's definitely a crazy, crazy year. Um, last thing I want to get to, man, before before we sign off, I got uh, you've been very you've been very vocal about like responding to the podcast, and I appreciate all the love you've been showing me. And then you even hit me back after some of our fantasy episodes. But I want to I want to point something out right here. I'm no no no. I, I wasn't even going to pull the receipt about me beating you this weekend. Okay, but I'm gonna pull this one receipt uh, from a message you says. It says, "Surprise, you guys pretty much breeze over Kenyon Drake." and a few other big performers from last year. You really think Derrick Henry is not going to be as good as he was last year? I went all in on Drake this year. Yeah, that hurt. So that, so that statement, and I'm not, I'm not, it's only four weeks in, so I'm not going to say much. But I've been, really, I've been really looking at that offense in Arizona, and I've been really watching Drake's performance. It's, it's this again, right? It's, I told you it was, I felt like it was just inconsistent. And even at the end of last year, he had monster games, and then it was like, where'd he go? And I right. see the disappearing act again. I want to know your take, number one, on Drake and how you feel about him now. And then number two, I think there may come a point in the next few weeks where Cliff Kingsbury gets a little frustrated with the way Drake's been playing and either goes fully running back by committee with Chase Edmonds because he's been, he's been pretty explosive, or we start to see Drake just fade away. Now, I don't know about the fade away part. I just think Chase Edmonds gets a little bit more involved 
And all those people like yourself that took Drake early are going to be frustrated at, you know, taking him at his ADP that he was going at this year. What's yeah, I definitely. I'm, I'm feeling the pain on running with Drake. Um, very inconsistent. You know, he's just not putting up those numbers and I score him. But I think a lot of the problem is not really Drake. It's just Murray's running like crazy. You know, he's running all over the field. And um, they got to like their offense really as good as he's kind of played is putting up the fantasy numbers from for Murray and lack thereof for Drake. Their offense really isn't that crazy good. Like you look at their yards per uh, I believe it's yards per completion. They're like the, the bottom of the league. It's t- how do you throw thirty five times or complete twenty eight passes for hundred and thirty yards? Like because it's five yard dinking doing. It's, it's ridiculous. He scrambles around. He's running around like crazy, and then it's just like, oh, I'm going to dump it off to this guy three, four yards, and you know, they're getting swallowed up. I think that what they need to do is just kind of start trying to push the ball down the field and almost kind of like what Dallas needs to do and stick with the run game a little bit more. Give it a chance. Uh, I know it's easy to say that when you're not, you're not really built for that up front, and that's kind of part of Dallas's problems with the injuries and stuff on the offensive line. But I think that what was really hurting him in Arizona's offense right now is – for, especially for Drake, is just the amount that Murray's running. You know, he's putting everything on his shoulders. I think, I think, I think that's a good point. I think the, the pushing the ball down the field is a good point. But I think Kingsbury, that's kind of his thing, right? In college, he was this dink and dunk, get it in the playmaker's hands and let them, you know, do what they do. And I think in the NFL, it's just different. You can't – you get these guys, even the, the best playmakers, you got to realize the linebackers and the D linemen and the DB, they're all just as fast as you are. Like, exactly. they all know how to take the right angles. They know how, know how to get to the ball. And they know how to tackle. It's Let not, me give you a stat. It's not there. So, Kenyon Drake has 254 yards rushing this year. Kyler Murray has 265 yards rushing. He's on pace for 1,016 touchdowns. Right? They're, they're both basically on pace for 1,000. But take away 100 of – Kyler Murray's yards and you give those to Kenyon Drake, he's the number three back in the league. Give him a hundred of those yards. He's the number three back in the league. So, you know, yeah, he's not putting up the numbers that I was expecting that I was hoping for. Um, but I think that the offense is kind of getting away from what their strengths were. I think at the end of the year when he was having those big games and Arizona was surprising people and starting to win, it was when Drake was getting a little bit more, you know, touches per game, especially runs, not necessarily the catches. He's going to get the catch. He's the passes because um, they like to, you know, dump the ball off a lot. But let the man run. Give him his, you know, like Zeke. Give him 15 to 20 carries a game. You have to. You have, you have to. to. That's why you got him. <clears throat> I agree. And it takes the pressure off the quarterback. And I, I think agree. that's something that Dallas needs to do. You know, Dak, and I, again, I keep kind of – because I, I really kind of compare those two teams. I think they're both very similar um, offensively. It's like – Throwing the ball a lot, but that's not really their strength. Oh, you're, I mean, you, who are you telling, man? I'd be, I'd be looking at the screen like, man, can we just run the ball, especially early in games, to get him, you know, get him going because he's the type of back that, you know, by his 20th carry, now he's running guys over. He's making the defense look silly, and we're just not giving him those opportunities. So I completely agree there. I just had to bring up Drake because um, yeah, yeah, no, I, I know that has to, I know that has to be impacting your fantasy. Drake! <laughs> Man, it's, it's, it's been fun. Good stuff. Um, oh, yeah. I appreciate you joining me. I Damn. promise you. Supposed to be 30 minutes, man. We ran almost an hour, bro. It don't matter. It's my show. We can do whatever the fuck we hey, want. that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> when you start talking football, you know what I'm saying? You're not even thinking about time, man. You're just deep in that conversation. So, yeah, definitely, man. I love it. 
I'm glad you came on. I will definitely have you back. We will get into stuff later on in the season. We'll see if your predictions oh, no, came we, true. We're we, we, we going to see each other, right? We're, yeah, we, no. We, we week four right now. Oh, no, no, oh, no, no. We, oh, no. We, we, I forgot. Oh, let's check that out, man. We play y'all week uh, 12, something? Yeah, I, you know, and it sucks because COVID hit. I was supposed to go to that game. I man. was going to go to Dallas, repping, ninered out, looking like the Kaepernick, you know what I'm saying, years when – when, when you go to Dallas and it's just a sea of red, you know what I'm talking about. We wouldn't, we wouldn't have let you in our stadium, bro. It's the same way when you come to Santa Clara, man. It's oh, damn. We, we blue. Week 15. Week 15, yes, definitely. Yeah, late in the season. Oh, you're going to get an early Christmas present. We're going to whoop that ass. Hey, at that point in the season, we're going to know what we got. True. We're going to see what Dallas is, and true. we should hopefully see what the 49ers are, and it should be a really good game. I can't wait. We'll, you know what? We're gonna, uh, we'll, we'll schedule something around that time. We'll talk a lot of shit. Um, we'll have to wait till after the game, though. We gotta, I want to make sure it's after, because I want to be able to talk shit or, or cancel the show. <laughs> I want to be able to go cry in the car, and then, and then come holler at me. Hey, I'm going to be like, you know what? Cowboys lost. Hey, sideline side to sidelines canceled this week. In the words of Bart Scott, and I'm going to end it at this, can't wait. Hey, you heard it there first, folks. All right, brother. Uh, thanks for joining me. Again, catch us every week, Wednesday and Friday, sideline to sideline underscore podcast on IG, and then at S2 Podcast on Twitter. Uh, again, appreciate all the love and support. Uh, Tate, so, until next time, we Definitely. out.